The aerogels are world record-breaking materials. <laughs> you can find them in the Guinness Book. And they exhibit very high porosity, very small pores, and low densities. And if you do the preparation the right way, now you can produce super insulation materials. And the beauty is the thermal insulation performance is better than air, even though they just contain air. Hey everyone, welcome to the It's a Material World podcast. I'm your host, Puneet. I have my co-host, David, here. Um, David, you're not looking too hot. <laughs> How, how's it going? <laughs> Well, thanks for telling everybody that. I am recovering from COVID, so it's been a little bit of a struggle recently, but it was excited for today's conversation, of course. As Puneeth told me not to say, but since you said that, I could have used some super insulation for my fever, which is a really bad joke to say that we're going to talk about aerogels today and their unique property of super insulation and their uses in industry. And so with that, Puneeth, what were you excited about the conversation today? Yeah, it was just really cool to hear about kind of the super insulation properties of aerogel, right? And how it's made, what the structure is like, essentially, as you you said in the, in the episode, it's like 99 plus percent air, right? But it has better properties than air itself, which is just very like mind boggling to think about. And then really like, I think usually how these episodes go is like, I try to ask the like application-based questions, like really dive into the why and the potential impact it makes. And then I feel like you really get into the, like the technical aspects. So it's a cool, cool balance between the two. But I was really fascinated with the like construction application of aerogel. But then also there's a really unique one about perfume and like smart release systems and how aerogel beads can help with that. So those are probably my top two favorite moments of the episode. How about you? I think it just goes back to like the basics of material science and how we know that structure can derive property and property can derive structure and process drives both of them, et cetera. I think it's just another great example of how using the fundamentals of material science that we learn in like our first or second years, it can lead to these incredible advances like aerogels, which it's really just about the structure. And now what can we do to change it? What properties can we do? What processing can we do? And so he tells a great story about how the first aerogel was created just from trying different processes. And so I think it's just another great example of how going back to the fundamentals of science can always help you create new technologies and advance the field, even though it may seem a little rudimentary. For sure. And our guest, Mark has like the R&D background, 15 years of experience, and then shifted into this co-founder and CEO role. And so that's also like another great tidbit from the episode is his balance between the two. And he gives really sound advice about, you know, how do you choose when you're interested in both the business development side as, as well as the research and development side. So really valuable episode, a lot of great insights here. And yeah, make sure to follow our podcast on your preferred podcast platform and leave us a rating and review. It would really help us out. So without further ado, let's get into it. Our sponsor today is Johnson Matthey. Are you a material scientist or engineer who wants to be part of the drive for a world that is healthy and cleaner, both for today and for future generations? By understanding the relationship between a material structure and its physical properties and chemical behavior, 
Material scientists and engineers at Johnson Matthey develop sustainable technologies that are catalyzing the zero transition in transport, chemicals, and energy. They design porous materials for catalyst supports for emission control systems that remove harmful emissions produced by diesel and gasoline engines. They innovate new compositions for catalysts at the heart of the hydrogen fuel cells in trucks and buses. And they also develop new corrosive-resistant reactors for processes that enable the production of sustainable chemicals and fuels. To find out more, visit Matthew.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-Y.com. Johnson Matthew, inspiring science, enhancing life. Hey everyone. Our guest for today's episode is Dr. Mark Fricka, CEO and co-founder of Aerogelit. Mark is a chemist by training with 15 years of experience working for a large chemical enterprise on foam systems and aerogels. In 2021, he co-founded Aerogelit, a company developing thermal insulation solutions that are energy efficient, that lower CO2 emissions, and that combat climate change. So we're super excited to kind of learn about your company, this world of aerogels, and hear more about your story. So thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. Yeah, thank you for the kind invitation. Well, yeah, let's first get started with your company. It has such a unique founding story, which involves seven different founders and lots of patents. So could you walk us through the journey of founding Aerogelit? Yeah, so after working in the industry in the field of aerogels for 15 years, we decided to spin off the, the aerogel technology with all relevant patents. And uh, for this endeavor, I asked, uh, first of all, my industry colleague, Dirk, and then I approached three aerogel experts from our collaboration partner at the Technical University of Hamburg, and later two senior business advisors to join the strong founding team, so to speak. So I'm just curious, I guess, why seven founders? You know, you mentioned, I guess, like the three aerogel experts. Why three instead of one? What was kind of the reasoning behind that that founding team? Yeah, to found a strong team, you need uh, expertise uh, from different angles. And uh, from my perspective, I mean, more the kind of inventor of aerogels on an industrial scale, but also have uh, industry and uh, business expertise. And with the co-founders from industry with different backgrounds, like, for instance, process technology and also a production setup, we made sure that we combine all needed expertise in the company. And so from previous conversations, I know that it was almost like a half split from academia and industry. What do you think are the benefits of that? And were there any downsides of having like people not coming from the same background, having issues communicating with each other like they would in industry versus academia? I mean, we knew each other for more than 10 years. So that's why, I mean, I was pretty sure that <laughs> I, I approached uh, the right guys. And it's uh, obvious now that you need uh, different backgrounds, business as I said, no, business, scientific, uh, but also, and this is rather important for us as we are talking about material production in the end. Therefore, you need also expertise in uh, production technology and uh, process technology. And so you started in R&D and then you went into business development. And so that, that might be a transition that some of our listeners take at, at some point in their careers. So can you elaborate on 
why you made that transition and how that decision affected your career. Yeah, exactly. I started in industrial R&D. And during that time, uh, I was involved in the development of new type of thermal insulation materials and especially aerogels. And I invented the first polyurethane aerogel with uh, super insulation properties. That was new. And uh, we produced uh, this material first in the lab and later as big slabs uh, on pilot scale. At a certain point, uh, the company decided to go out to the public, which uh, was a very um, important decision in the end. So with an announcement and with an exhibition at uh, different fairs. So in the end, as inventor with deep knowledge about this new type of product and also technology, I first supported uh, business development and then uh, took over the role while still leading the entire project as project manager. So uh, all these different aspects and learnings uh, helped me a lot uh, now to, to set up our new company. So I feel like there, there might be several companies of different sizes that uh, utilize aerogels in, in various capacities. So what made you kind of decide to kind of spin off and, and create your own company? Was it some needs or, or a gap that you saw in the market? Or what was kind of the reasoning behind shifting your career path? In principle, we believe in the aerogel technology. And uh, we also believe in uh, the capabilities uh, of uh, aerogel materials to help getting, I mean, more energy efficient in different application areas, starting from building and construction uh, appliances and, and many others. We, we may go into the details later. And uh, with this unique uh, expertise, we just uh, started at the beginning you know, from uh, academia and, uh, and industry we now feel that we have the opportunity you know, to really not only develop something new, but also make a, I mean, yeah, make the difference uh, in this uh, yeah, discussion about energy efficiency and also clean and green technologies. Now I'm moving forward. Now that you've experienced the R&D and the business development and the joint role where you did both at the same time, where do you think that your career path is going to go? And do you have any advice for listeners about getting both of those experiences and then making the decision. Yeah, I mean, as a CEO, I have the overall responsibility of the company, that's for sure, but uh, I'm not so uh, deep into R&D anymore. So uh, my role is uh, more or less like, uh, yeah, comparable to the end within the former company where I was uh, more responsible for uh, marketing, sales, uh, and business development. Uh, that's what I, I currently do. Kind of the next part of David's question, I, I would, I'm just curious, like, is that your, for anybody who might be interested, like me in the business side, as well as the engineering side, what advice do you have for really like determining which path is best for you? Is it just as simple as trying both and then just kind of going from there? Or do you have any additional advice? Yeah, I mean, starting from a scientific uh, point of view is, is always useful for sure. And you can develop further né, and uh, go into different directions. But uh, I mean, whenever you identify an interesting topic, uh, you have to persist né, to develop uh, something new, go out um, and also display or pitch. Né? I mean, test your versions and adjust and so on. Né? And don't be shy. Né? So, I mean, there are so many platforms uh, out now for startups 
especially from uh, from university, you know, but also for my personal side, uh, starting a new company uh, out of a large scale uh, enterprise. You, know? you get a lot of help in doing so, but you have to find your own way uh, uh, as usual. So there's not this path. Uh, please uh, follow this. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, everything is good. Uh, I think for me, one important aspect was in addition that I built a large network during uh, my time at uh, industry along different value chains and uh, identify the right value chains and learn who are the key players and the decision makers. Uh, this is important. And uh, yeah, in the end, you have to find the right uh, partners to work with. Even with, with this podcast, right? And I'm curious to get your input, but it was a whole different learning experience than kind of the traditional engineering path that, that I'm on or, you know, that my full-time role is, right? We're tasked with learning about marketing and, and sales and, you know, how to build an organization from the ground up, which are all things that I'm very interested in, but I'm curious, what are the kind of the key differences in terms of those learning opportunities when it comes to starting a business versus what you might see in a traditional R&D path where you kind of climb the corporate ladder? I mean, you have to learn um, much more than, uh, of course, only the scientific aspect, that's for sure. And I mean, running a business or starting a new company, the first thing for you is to decide uh, who should be your co-founders. First of all, this is, uh, I mean, key. You know, the team is uh, is key, and uh, don't start with product is searching for the right market. Now you need to find uh, first market opportunities. Uh, I mean, we believe in aerogels. That's true, but we worked uh, on this uh, also market development uh, quite uh, for some years, to be honest. And by doing so, we learned a lot about different application areas, market needs, and also uh, customer needs. Uh. So it's always uh, both, no? push and pull um, at the same time. And you have to find balance that no? within your company, but also with your, with your yeah, partners, external partners. No? Thanks for sharing those stories about your background experiences. You, you have a very valuable insight that we hope that our listeners will take a lot of value from. But now we would love to dive into your technology. And so many of our listeners have not heard about aerogels before. Could you explain what aerogels are made of and what is so special about them and why you would even want to start a company solely dedicated to aerogels? Aerogels are world record-breaking materials. <laughs> you can find them in the Guinness Book. And they exhibit very high porosity, very small pores, and low densities. And if you do the preparation the right way, now you can produce super insulation materials. And the beauty is, the thermal insulation performance is better than air, even though they just contain air. So that's uh, kind of a miracle, but uh, that's the uh, beauty <laughs> behind. I mean, there's a physical effect behind called Knudsen effect. Uh, you can also uh, look it up <laughs> if you want. And uh, I mean, the first aerogels were made of silica, meaning a mineral-based uh, material. Right? And um, still, nearly all commercial aerogels are silica-based. And we were first to invent kind of a yeah, synthetic plastic-based, polyurethane-based aerogel. And now we want to be yeah, pioneering the commercialization of bio-based aerogels. So this is a new class of aerogels made of biopolymers using natural raw materials. So what is the 
processing look like for this type of like air-like material? We don't have to get into the nitty gritty details, but just in general, what does that process look like to uh, create an aerogel product? The process behind is uh, called soil gel process technology. So you start from a liquid, a solution, you dissolve your raw materials in the solvent and you do uh, gelation. And uh, gelation in that sense uh, that you incorporate uh, the solvent inside your structure you form during a cross-linking reaction of your raw materials. And uh, after that, after forming this uh, gel, could be particles or, or a slab, you need to dry this gel, meaning you have to take out the solvent by any means. Uh, the problem here is that you have to prevent shrinkage of the material during the drying process. And therefore, drying or extraction with supercritical CO2 has been established because with supercritical CO2, you avoid surface tension, which cause capillary forces at the pores. And in the end, uh, they are responsible for shrinkage during the drying. That's what we do. So the process technology is quite important uh, also uh, at the end uh, for the final properties of the material. And so you described it as a world record-breaking material. And so when the first creation of aerogels it's performing unlike just air, even though it's 99% air. So was the goal to create an aerogel or do you know the story behind how aerogels were first found and created? They were first uh, created uh, in the last century in the 30s by Kistler. And uh, he already worked with uh, silica aerogels and uh, he tried uh, different uh, drying methods uh, and realized that uh, I mean, this is uh, key for uh, preventing shrinkage, as like I said before, né? and also for the final properties. Né? They are also called solid air or frozen type of materials, né? blue smoke, and there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember just seeing pictures and I, and I thought like, oh, this is like blue smoke. So it's interesting that um, that was kind of one of the names for it. I'm just curious how different the process was creating aerogel from the lab scale versus all the way up to the industry scale. What were the challenges there in terms of scaling up um, and producing this at, at a mass scale? There are a lot of challenges in, in scaling <laughs> up. So then, I mean, you find a lot of small scale devices uh, all over the world in different uh, laboratories and also industrial environments where you can produce uh, very small scale uh, aerogels, but to produce on large scale and also cost effective that's a big challenge and you have to consider each and every step you know the gelation step as well as I mean, gel formation drying and uh, maybe post treatment afterwards no? so there are many steps involved and uh, we took a look at each and every step and uh, we try to optimize the different steps also uh, in terms of uh, yeah, energy efficiency and uh, in the end, uh, overall material and process efficiency. So you mentioned this before, I got a sidetrack, but a key part of your technology is uh, making these aerogels with more sustainable materials called bioaerogels. Can you elaborate on these bioaerogels and if there's any differences other than the, the raw materials with, with more conventional aerogels? Bioaerogels are really based on, on natural raw materials. This is our main focus. And uh, these raw materials are biopolymers. 
usually, uh, including, for instance, polysaccharides like cellulose or pectin, as an example. Others are um, lignin from wood, you may know, or you can even use proteins and make aerogels out of it, like whey protein, for instance. And usually bioaerogels are stronger and more easy to work with, not as brittle as uh, silica aerogels. And uh, I mean, they're easy to work with, so to speak. And, and our main contribution to this uh, area so far is that we develop bio-based aerogels or bioaerogels with super insulation performance. That's new to the world, if you wish so. <laughs> and uh, in addition, bioaerogels with low or negative carbon footprint due to the raw material you know, offers uh, what we say untapped uh, decarbonization potential. That's why we say we decarbonize uh, industries with uh, green super insulation is kind of uh, our slogan. When you talk about cellulose, that's commonly used in single-use plastics as like a substitute, and that could be biodegraded in a composting site with heat. And so aerogel's main use is as an insulator, which is under an intense heat. How do you get around that large problem that at least I'm seeing of being able to have such different performances? Is it really just the structure or is there anything else that you can add to the structure to help it? First, you need the structure. You need to uh, develop uh, and maintain this uh, aerogel structure for the final properties in terms of uh, thermal insulation. And then you have to take a look at other properties like uh, water uptake, fire resistance, uh, molding, and, and, and so on. That's totally true. And uh, I mean, we learned a lot during our development and also market introduction uh, of the polyurethane aerogel, because this material works uh, in uh, different environments, especially in, in building and construction, for instance. And we know exactly what we have to do and how to develop a final product for the customers no, we are working with. You're saying that your aerogels are decarbonization, but that's one big benefit. But the benefit would be switching it with a material that takes a lot of carbon. Do you have any examples of the difference it is between like regular insulation or any other application with conventional materials versus your materials? Yeah, if we take a look at lignin as an example, no, as raw material, no, lignin is a byproduct uh, of the paper and, and pulp industry. So during pulp or paper production, cellulose is separated from lignin, and we use this uh, lignin as a raw material to make an aerogel out of it. So this lignin has a biogenic uh, carbon and is uh, CO2 uh, negative, no, has a negative footprint in the end, as a raw material already. And uh, you make an aerogel out of it and also save uh, CO2 during the application, you can increase uh, your effect. That's why we say our customers or even their customers can decarbonize within their application areas and, and businesses. So compared to conventional foams, thermal insulation uh, materials, you know, the performance of aerogels is 50% uh, better. So you can reduce the thickness by 50%, meaning one half, so from 10 to uh, 5 centimeters, for instance. And uh, even more important is to fulfill the requirements uh, of the energy efficiency targets in the end. So you can also keep the thickness, but increase the performance uh, to uh, fulfill I mean, the requirements um, from the customers, but also from uh, authorities. 
So from that super insulation, you know, keyword that that we've touched on a few times already in this episode, is there like a critical value or like a, a property that we look at that, you know, aerogels kind of embody that super insulation property? I'm just wondering what applications that this super insulation kind of allows aerogels to enter and, and really make a difference, make an innovation in that space. Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, there's no uh, sharp uh, threshold, something like this. But uh, I mean, I think it's accepted that uh, a thermal conductivity value mm -hmm. of uh, 20 milliwatt per meter Kelvin, that's the unit, that's kind of the, the threshold. So everything below 20 milliwatts uh, is called a super insulator. And so when we talk about super insulation, you described before that it's 99% air. What does the structure of an aerogel look like to allow it to have such better insulation properties than just air and then be underneath that super insulation point as well? Yeah, the, the structure is very fine. So you have, can think about uh, open porous uh, structure with uh, very uh, fine uh, struts or particles with high porosity, as you said, between 90 and 99% air and a very high sur internal surface area like a soccer field in one gram for instance. So it's rather huge. And uh, one important aspect is uh, the density at the same time. So we have really to fine tune and, and fine balance uh, all these uh, different uh, properties to achieve a thermal conductivity below this uh, 20 milliwatt per meter Kelvin. And then I've also heard, I'm not quite sure if I remember this right, but there's three main ways of transferring heat. Conduction, which is touching, conduction, which is air or fluid flowing, and then radiation. And what I believe I remember is that aerogel's unique property and why it's such a great insulator is that it removes the convectional heating properties of the material. Is that a correct statement? Or are there any other explanations as to why it's more effective than air? I mean, there are different contributions to thermal conductivity, uh, that's true. And uh, in aerogels, the contribution from air conduction, so the molecules uh, of air like nitrogen, uh, oxygen, and, and CO2, the heat conduction from one molecule to another is reduced just statistically because the pore size is so small that the movement of the molecules is a little bit hindered. They are not encapsulated. Sometimes you find uh, explanations like this. It's more like uh, statistics, yeah, but uh, therefore you can reduce uh, the contribution of air conductivity drastically by 50% or even more. So let's dive into kind of an application for where we see that structure really come into play, which is first one is material transport. And I know I don't really think about this, but you know, in, in terms of like perfumes and other liquids, transports is very important from the scientific standpoint. So can you just elaborate on the importance of this industry and how aerogel technology can um, potentially produce smart release systems that could revolutionize this field? So as I said, due to this open porous uh, structure, aerogels can be loaded uh, with uh, active uh, substances or for instance, a perfume, as you said. Uh. And uh, the idea is to use, in our case, bioaerogel beads as a carrier for perfume and release the perfume over a certain period of time without uh, changing the notes. And that's new. And one of our customers is developing Smart Candle, as it's called, which, uh, yeah, I mean, they state revolutionizes uh, home diffuser products by doing so. 
how reusable would it be? Say you have an aerogel and you fill it with perfume and then get it out. What is the efficiency of getting liquids out of the aerogel? And then does it lose any mechanical properties after a certain number of fills, for example? It depends on the aerogel. No? But uh, we developed um, new types of uh, bio aerogels, uh, which are rather stable and they can be loaded, uh, I mean, kind of forever. And, and release uh, the, the active uh, substance. And even afterwards, I mean, it's still a, a bio-based product also used in other application areas. I know you're working with partners on this and you know other companies, you mentioned the smart candle, but I'm just wondering, are there any general estimates for the comparison of like the efficiency of the release, right? With a traditional candle or traditional perfume versus one that incorporates these like aerogel beads? I mean, it's uh, a mixture of uh, or combination of uh, higher efficiency. I don't have any numbers uh, with me, but uh, at, the, and at the same time, keeping the notes and not changing the, the composition uh, over time and uh, just uh, releasing top notes, for instance. And that's uh, the, the main beauty and also the kind of the, the main invention. And so we've mostly been talking about this candle, but looking for the future, where do you see the applications that you're going to work towards in the next five to 10 years? Even now, no? I mean, we are working on different, uh, I mean, application areas and also in different industries. No? And uh, I mean, our focus, main focus is energy efficiency no? in, in thermal insulation applications. And we expect the biggest impact of our materials in facade systems, no? in building and construction, for instance. High volumes, but also very high uh, impact because you can reduce the thickness of the wall and gain space. Or in other words, uh, you can uh, keep the thickness and uh, increase uh, the energy efficiency. In other applications, like for instance, cold chain, we also believe that we can uh, contribute uh, here in, in thermal packaging for instance, no? or in refrigerators. And we know that the materials work. No? So we now have to integrate our materials into the systems uh, of uh, our customers. No? And one big topic right now is EV battery insulation. And it turns out that uh, aerogel-based uh, materials uh, can play a significant role. And so we've talked to a bunch of startups before, and one of the big issues is as a startup, you can only make X amount of tons of material and you have all these great applications where it'd be a great fit. What is Aerogelic's philosophy on which areas to target and how to separate that X tons of material that you can make each year while you continually try to scale as fast as possible? Yeah, we have to find balance it and uh, work in parallel. No? I mean, now we are planning a large scale production and uh, this we do in parallel with the uh, um, customer projects. So depending on the customer needs, after running the projects uh, with us, we um, estimate uh, the capacity. And uh, at the moment, we can produce pilot lines, uh, meaning several hundred liters per year, and we will increase uh, step by step. But at a certain point, we have to increase uh, largely and install an industrial production plant. What did that market development timeline look like when you were just starting out, right? You said you spent years doing that. So I understand the importance of it, right? You really want to gauge the different applications, um, where those resources would be most valuable, where you can profit the most, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just curious, like, how did you find the right people to talk to and, you know, 
gather all that data to really make an educated decision on how to best allocate those resources? I mean, it helps a lot that I already have established a huge network globally. And uh, in addition, right now, I mean, most of our partners, they find us, which is uh, rather important uh, for us because we are small and uh, not so much visible. I mean, just a web page is not enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you need at least uh, one, but uh, that's it. And uh, I mean... Also working on, on platforms no? like uh, like LinkedIn, for instance, uh, help to reach out. But and this is uh, true for both sides. We have found and uh, we can also uh, post quite easily. And uh, this uh, helps a lot. Uh, on the other hand, identifying the right uh, partners and starting projects with them is kind of uh, the experience no? after so many years. And maybe something more... Uh, recent is that recently we've seen intense heat waves across the world and especially like in Great Britain and California, for example, the energy bills are skyrocketing. And so I feel like your application will help a lot with the ever-changing climate of our earth. How much could you just say, for example, could the energy savings be where we could save money even during these intense like cyclical periods of intense temperature one way or the other? Yeah, there are different uh, angles no, to, to look at this. I mean, it's a very complex uh, topic for sure. But uh, as mentioned at the beginning, so first we, uh, we try to avoid uh, CO2 emissions uh, due to the aspect uh, that our raw materials are bio-based. During the application uh, time, we uh, save also uh, CO2 or other greenhouse uh, gases and uh, Whenever we contribute to, to energy efficiency, you know, we might help in, I mean, in the sense that, uh, I mean, the energy price increase is one aspect. And uh, on the other hand, um, we try to contribute. Yeah, how should I explain that? In the sense that we do not offer certificates, we offer real materials to reduce uh, CO2 emissions. And I think this, this is uh, one of the main aspects. So from the like construction standpoint, which you mentioned is one of the bigger industries to make a potential impact, I'm just wondering, you mentioned kind of the wall application. So I'm just wondering, are thermal insulation and like sound insulation related in any way or are they completely different? I'm just trying to think about like if you have these aerogel products in the walls, right? How does the sound, is that sound insulated or is that easier if this is like a 99% air product, you know? That's a good question, and uh, we get a lot of questions like this, especially from the automotive industry, because, uh, I mean, for them, uh, acoustic insulation is quite an important uh, topic. And uh, as we talked about uh, open pore structures, yes, uh, the aerogels beer in, in effect, but uh, due to the very small structures, they are not like a sound absorber. It's more like sound uh, dampening. So, therefore... They behave a little bit different, like traditional acoustic uh, materials, like fibers, for instance, uh, and uh, open, open cellular foams. But they can contribute a little bit different, as I said. And uh, I mean, for building and construction, we don't see um, any problems, but also not real benefits in terms of acoustic. Yeah, so that, then that means, right, like if, if that stays relatively the same, but the thermal insulation properties are are significantly higher than it's worth investing in that replacement. That's true, Will. Got it.
Well, I guess to wrap up this episode, like your story, first of all, is a great example of how, how someone can leverage their years of background and experience from the material science standpoint, and then shifting to become an entrepreneur and starting a company. Um, so what advice would you have for our listeners who maybe will follow down a similar path where they have this strong material science and engineering background, but maybe one day we'll start a company? Yeah, I think I tried to answer a similar question before. Like, uh, so for me, it's like, I mean, be persistent. <laughs> And whenever you um, identify an interesting topic, uh, keep on, keep on going, and and, and don't be shy. Um, in the end, um, what we already discussed is uh, you need to find uh, the right uh, partners. You can't do it alone. It doesn't matter whether it's a small uh, company or you want to create a big one. Uh, without uh, the right partners, uh, you can forget about it. And you need this uh, this network. We also touched uh, before. And I mean, it's not like uh, finding uh, or just finding customers. Uh, it's important to uh, identify the right partners, especially for uh, these uh, yeah, complex materials and uh, also applications. And you also uh, need to understand the difference in the, in the applications and uh, customer needs on the one hand, but also, um, I mean, total trends. Uh, which are important, like uh, we already discussed uh, before. I think that's really great advice for how to transition. But are there any skills that you learned during your time in industry that you found extremely important in your role as CEO, other than the technical skills that you built up to understand aerogels to a point where you're comfortable starting a company? I mean, it starts with uh, project development, but also uh, with colleagues customers and also different type of, of management. No? So you have to, to find balance, but also learn. No? Hierarchy uh, structures, flat hierarchies, uh, learn the difference and also uh, deduce uh, what uh, how you want to uh, build up uh, your own company and uh, how to run it in a, in a smooth way with all your different, uh, I mean, uh, partners and, and later employees. No? So employee development is uh, is important at the later stage, no? especially in our case. No, but uh, yeah, don't forget about that. And uh, what is also important, especially for us, is handling patents. Don't underestimate that. That's also um, not so, so easy. Write uh, your own patents and try to uh, deep dive uh, into uh, the topic, but also learn uh, what is important to file the right patents, I mean, you get support for that. But still, I mean, if you want to understand what's, uh, what's going on in the, in the landscape, um, especially if you uh, start your own enterprise, that's a very important topic. Yeah, that's very sound advice, things that I haven't thought about. So it's good to keep in, keep in my mind. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with us and really dive into the world of aerogels. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. Yeah, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. 
Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there. Thank you.